Sometimes I wonder where it all went right. Feet up, sun shining in the window on the ringside seat of all the neighbours, comings and goings. You'd see all sorts. Now, there goes Mrs Bonaducci, the Italian, the neighbour across the road. She's very good to me, ma. She's always dropping over DVDs or popping magazines in the letterbox. Your ma doesn't get out much, so she's delighted. Your brother Dennis will be home soon. It was gas. He was heading to work this morning just as I was crawling into the scratcher, buckled. As I passed him on the stairs, I whispered, Don't be late now, Petal, and pinched his arse. <laughs> he was fuming. Ah, need to get a job myself, though. Herself is beginning to lose patience. I like driving. It's very therapeutic. Especially after work. I pull into Super Value to pick up some dinner. I meet our neighbour, Mrs Bonaducci, in the car park. She has her horrible Jack Russell scalacci with her. I lean into her good ear and say, I'll bring home her groceries in the car, but she says she's just passing through. I get the shopping done, head home and pull into the driveway. In the hall, I throw my keys in the drawer and arrange the tulips in Tracy's vase. He's only in the door and he's grinding me gears, picking up plates, opening windows. He heads upstairs and I can hear him talking to Matt through the floorboards. I'm watching Tipping Point now and some civil servant from Nottingham is cleaning up. He's in the final reeling off Val Kilmer movies just as I hear Dennis in the kitchen banging presses. I hope it's pizza. Jerry burnt a pot noodle before so I do the cooking. I take a pizza from the freezer and put it in the oven. Ma's looking well today. She gulps down her brew while I tidy the vials on her bedside locker. I wipe a little spittle from her chin and turn up the radio. She asks me about Jerry's girlfriend. Again. And I tell her she'll have to ask him. And head into my room to check my prints. They're packed away in an A2 airtight translucent folder. I run my finger along the rubber clips. Tomorrow I'll head into town and present them at Ireland's biggest comic book convention. Eli Goldstein an artist from New York. A hero of mine is judging the competition. He's forgotten to pick the pineapple off me pizza, but I bite me tongue. He tells me about his week in work and I'm nodding, resisting the urge to drive the fork I'm holding through me eye socket. We finish eating and I get stuck into a newspaper crossword. It's a piece of piss. He doesn't do a runner like he usually does. Now, I've only six cans left, but I ask him if he wants one. He says no. He needs a clear head for the morning. I ask him what's on and he tells me about this art competition thing. Tracy, his wife, got him into the doodles. She's not around anymore, but he's kept it up. It's been months since we sat together like this. I'm talking about my job and he looks interested, which is nice. The late late is starting and Jerry goes to grab the remote. I ask him to leave it because it reminds me of Tracy and I'm in that kind of mood. I only keep one physical reminder of her. She made me a ceramic vase as an anniversary present one year. I keep it in the hall inside the front door. It's a foot tall with a beautiful red and white body. It has a floral pattern and a neck that flares at the top. I'm always topping it up with fresh tulips. Tracy's favourite. Can we not put on a movie or something? Relax, it's nearly over. Do you ever put that phone down? I'm expecting a call. You're googling the crossword answers. Go ahead, shy. 
I'm waiting to hear from Olga. It's her six-month anniversary. Congratulations. Maybe I'll get to meet her soon. Now, don't start. I'm serious. She's been good for you. Yeah, I suppose. Have you anything on tomorrow? I've plans with Olga in the afternoon and then I'm heading to Billy Murphy's 30th in Smith's with Dagger. Who's Billy Murphy? From school. You know him. The lunatic. Can't place him. Remember the guards found him bollock naked in Burger King threatening the staff with a cinder block? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he wanted a Big Mac. He got out last month. You should join us. We'll see how my presentation goes. What do you get if you win? Five grand. Not bad. Nothing else? No, that's it. Have you done much for it? I tell him I've created two new characters. Slua Moore is a green-skinned giant with fiery red hair. He has a shillelagh draped around his neck. And Colleen Bond is a wailing, blonde-haired banshee in a blood-red robe with piercing blue eyes. You're not even listening. I am, I am. Together they fight corrupt politicians and evil fat cats. Eli Goldstein, he's the judge, said he wanted something original and something Irish, and that's what I'm going to give him. Do you want to see them? I don't really, but he comes down with two of these huge canvas things, and I'm well impressed. Six months' work, he reckons. There's two superheroes with crazy eyes and bulging muscles. He has them looking all professional. The colours, the shadows, the attention to detail. It's like something out of Marvel or DC. He launches into a speech about where the idea came from, the different materials he used and the colour schemes. He's waffling away about brush strokes, delighted with himself, until I interrupt him and ask him if they're a crime-fighting team. But what do you mean? Like, are they husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend? Why is that important? Well, it's part of their backstory, and as a viewer, I'd like to know what... Can you just listen for once? But I'm only asking... Are you wrecking my head? Now, will I keep going or what? Yeah, yeah, do. Now, as you can see here, I decided to go for a cherry red palette and complemented it with that matte black. I thought about going for a navy blue, but I think the black pops more, you know? It's all about drawing the eye in. See the grey on the elbow there? Don't even get me started. And on and on he goes. There's something nagging me about the banshee. I stand up, a bit unsteady, and move in for a closer look. I know that blonde from somewhere. The wavy hair, dimples, the tiny tattoo on her wrist. Do I know her? I say, but he laughs and tells me I'm hammered. My nose is six inches from the canvas and I'm transfixed. Then Ma starts banging on the ceiling. Dennis runs out and heads up to check on her. I step back and take a drink. Do I know her? He says. I tried to be subtle, but he saw her. Tracy hated to be photographed. Now I was unveiling a cartoon version of her to the entire Irish art world. Ma wants to go to sleep, so I pull up her duvet. I put Saturday's pills into her tray and look out the window. Mrs Bonaducci is dragging her wheelie bin up the drive. I take Ma's hand and she's asleep already. Her tiny body is swallowed by the bed. The sheets barely move as she breathes. She seemed excited about the competition when I told her. She asked if I'd be in the paper and I said, yeah, maybe if I won. I didn't tell her about the second part of the prize. The job in Mr Goldstein's studio in New York. I shouldn't have taken the prince out like that. Tomorrow is the big reveal. Jerry, believe it or not, is not an art aficionado. But his reaction was nice. He looked impressed. Proud even.
I walk back down and he has them packed away for me. Just as he comes in the door, I have the canvases back in the folder because that's the kind of big bro I am. Still no word from the missus. I know I'll see her tomorrow, but a little goodnight text would be nice. We met in a chat room on a singles website. I was scrolling down through all the girls when a message popped up. Hey, sexy, how are you? I pulled up me boxers, fixed me hair and clicked in. There she was, Olga. Everything was so natural. You know, we talked about life, friends, beer, movies, sex and our family. And suddenly her move changed. She told me she had a baby brother who was very sick. Peter was fighting for his life and needed an operation in America or else he was going to die. You can imagine what I was thinking. A smart, beautiful woman who I've just met compliments me and then casually mentions her dying brother and the money she needs to save his life. I'll tell you what I was thinking. Where do I send my donation? Poor little fella. The folder is safely back under my bed. Ma is snoring and Jerry is watching a movie. When we were younger, Jerry and I were inseparable. We ate together, played together and fought together. He's two years older, but back then it felt like two weeks. Last year he was too hungover to go to my 30th birthday party. He's really loving this Adam Sandler film. He has a gin and tonic in his hand. I have a peppermint tea in mine. He's a strange one, is my brother. Now, all in all, a good skin, yeah, but I don't get him. He followed the money all his life. He went to college and joined the bank. He worked his way up and they had him flying around Europe, signing contracts and closing deals. He had a red 911 and a cottage in Dingle. But then his missus died. Now he works in a toll booth on the East Link for a minimum wage. She done herself in, Tracy. No, no, nothing. Within a month he left his job, sold his gaff for a third of its worth and moved back in here. I've only been to New York once. It's hard to imagine living there. You know, the hustle and bustle, the skyscrapers, Central Park. But I'm sure I could adjust. It's where any artist should want to be. I'm trying not to think what leaving might mean for Jerry and Ma. The doctors disagree on how long she has left. Two years at best, six months at worst. Could Jerry look after her? Can he look after himself? I'm getting ahead of myself. Time for bed. I tell Jerry if, on the off chance, I have something to celebrate, I might join him for a pint tomorrow night. He mutters something and weighs back. He's in a state now. In the hallway, I run my hand along the vase and pull a tulip up to my nose. And he's gone. It's about fucking time. I can't wait to hear Olga's voice now. We'll kiss and make up, I'm telling you. You couldn't stay mad at this face forever. We'll be fine. I wish she was here beside me now. We'd play tickles and blow kisses. I'd give her a snuggle and a little peck on the cheek and maybe even a nibble on the ear. She'd pinch me arm and play with me hair and... Jesus Christ, would you listen to me? I'm going to play a bit of poker. Where's that gin? I haven't slept well in ages. I'm happy with three or four hours a night these days. Tonight it's thinking of my wife that's making me toss and turn. My interest in comic books is entirely down to her. She nurtured my artistic side and encouraged me to be ambitious. 
As I lie here now, I can't help but think that the folder beneath my bed may just be the start of something new. Something far away from here. You gotta know when to hold them Know when to fold them Know when to walk away Know when to run You never count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough for counting When the dealing's done Bollocks! Where's my phone? It's after 11. No, not today. Right. 43 minutes to get into town and set up. I run to the window and whip the curtains back. It's lashing. A quick piss, no shower, and I'm hopping on one leg trying to put my socks on. My new suit is in a ball on the floor. I smooth it out, throw on a shirt and kick on my shoes. Keys, wallet, phone. I take the stairs two at a time. Jerry's on the couch where I left him passed out. The room stinks. I halo a taxi and bite into a banana. There's a beep from outside. Keys, wallet, phone. Keys, wallet, phone. And I'm out into the rain. I jump in and shout, Parnell Street, please. No problem, buddy. I sit in the seat and take a deep breath. Wait. The folder. Fuck. Oh, good morning, cruel world. Fuck me, things are bad. As much as I'd like to wallow in my own filth for the day, I better get ready for Olga. It's mad how your life changes when you meet someone. A new board makes you think about things, you know. And was I happy at 32, living with me man, getting the social? Of course I was. But maybe, just maybe, there was more out there. Before I met Olga, I didn't mind being broke. But it's very frustrating when you love someone and you want to treat them, but you can't. The few quid I do get goes towards our brother. I gave her 50 quid last week. I couldn't afford to give her anything this week. She went fucking nuts. I'm going to apologise to her. I'll tell her I'm a new man. I hope I haven't left it too late. 32 minutes until the exhibition starts and we're stuck in traffic. Sheila, one of the organisers, is barking down the phone at me. Mr Goldstein has arrived and is meeting the other entrance. She says she can't delay. I tell her I'll be there. The folder is sitting in the back seat. Frank, the driver, is well aware I have to be there for 12, but keeps letting cars pull out in front. I'm digging my fingernails into the armrest, trying to ignore the screeching of the wipers. I open the top button on my shirt and ask him to turn on the radio. I make my way upstairs to Dennis's room and open his sock drawer. I feel around at the back and pull out an old wash bag. Inside is a roll of 50s. I pull out two notes and replace the bag. The head is starting to clear, so I head out. There's no queue at the bank, so I go straight up to the machine and deposit the money. I pick up a newspaper and walk home. Across the road I can see Mrs Bonaducci shuffling around her garden with a walking stick. She's hunched over a flower bed, pulling weeds and white jeans and heels. She seems oblivious to the fact that Scalacci is in the middle of the road, terrorising every car that passes. He's a horrible little shite. It's only a few minutes till I see Olga, so I head to the bathroom to put my face on. 19 minutes. Traffic has ground to a halt. I'm tempted to get out and make a run for it, but we're too far away. Sheila texts, saying the other contestants are set up and ready to go. I beg her to stall for as long as she can. I remind Frank that he's allowed to use the bus lane. Oh yeah, he says, and he starts laughing. 
I close my eyes and take a deep breath. <sighs> I keep checking the back seat and fixing my hair in the mirror. We're carving through Dorset Street until we approach an amber light. Frank jams on the brakes, my seatbelt engages and my hands slam on the dashboard. I look at my watch. 11 minutes. Here. We. Go. I sit in the living room, open the laptop, click on Skype and it starts dialing. Olga answers on the third ring and her face fills the screen. She's sitting on her bed. There's a topless Vladimir Putin poster on the wall behind her. How are you, sweetheart? You look great, I say. Missed you lots like jelly tots. She's having none of me guff today. She tells me Peter's condition is worsened. He needs to be flown to Dallas in the next week or he'll die. She holds up a photo of the little lad. I've never seen him before. I feel guilty now and promise her I'll think of something. She thanks me for the deposit earlier. There's a bit of polite banter going back and forth now. Looks very warm over there, pumpkin. You should take your top off, I say with a wink. She goes fucking ballistic, calls me a pig and hangs up. That may have been bad form on my part. I'm feeling very handsy and think about ransacking me dignity when there's a knock on the window. I look up and Mrs Bonaducci is staring in at me. Five minutes. The shirt is sticking to me and I've taken my seatbelt off. I grab my folder from the back seat and I'm ready to pounce. We're inching along and I've got my hand on the handle. Frank mounts the curb and I've got the door open before the car stops. I'm halfway out when he puts his hand on my shoulder and says, You owe me 40 quid, son. I fix him up and head straight across the road. Sheila's waiting for me at the door, talking into a headset and waving me through. The place is rammed. I fight through the crowd towards my stand. It's the only one unoccupied. I see Mr Goldstein has begun his rounds and is only two contestants away. I fumble with the folder clips, pull out the prints and quickly set them up. My heart is pounding as Goldstein approaches. He's accompanied by a videographer who projects my work onto a giant screen above my head. I watch Goldstein's face for a reaction. He points at one of my characters. There's a gasp from the audience. This is it. I just pretend I didn't hear Mrs Bonaducci knocking. Her dog starts scraping at the front door. I have to get up. Gerard, hello. Is that you, Gerard? Uh, hello, Mrs Bonaducci. How are you today? You're looking radiant, I say, opening the door. She's holding a plastic bag of magazines in one hand and a walking stick in the other. I have something for your mother. She shuffles past me into the hall. Oh, that's beautiful, Gerard. Just beautiful. She turns Tracy's vase to one side for a better look. Yeah, it's grand, I suppose. I start into the unfinished crossword as she makes her way upstairs. Dagger texts me about what time we're meeting later. A door closes and I can hear Mrs Bonaducci on the stairs. Gerard, have you got a minute? Your mother is very down today. I've never seen her like this. Will I ring Dennis? No, you're the one can help her. In fact, we can both help her. She walks past me into the room. She hands me her walking stick and drapes the handkerchief on the couch. She's very disappointed you haven't brought your girlfriend over to meet her. She doesn't understand it. Ah, uh, it's complicated. Olga doesn't live in Ireland. Fly her over. You have no idea how much of a lift it would give her. There's a bit of trouble in paradise. What's the problem? 
Money. I can help you out. <laughs> Why didn't I think it is before? She can get me a kitchen gig in one of our restaurants. But she's reading me mind. That will never happen. But your mother deserves some happiness. I'd like to give you some money. I couldn't accept it, I say, knowing full well that I could, and in fact would accept it. It's uh, not really for you. It's for your mother. Well, there must be something I can do for you in return. Or something I can give you. Please, anything. You can give me a hand across the road. <sighs> we step out into the hall. Hold on a second, I know what I can give you. Let me pop this vase into a bag for you. She links me arm and we cross the road. We make our way to the front door. She bends down, takes a key from under the mat, opens up and replaces it. I'll be back in a minute. I stick my head in the door for a quick look and the place is immaculate. She comes out with her purse in her hand. Don't tell your mother. How much do you need? I have no idea. Take this. She hands me a chunk of green notes and grabs me wrist. It would mean everything to her. I don't know what to say. Thanks. Look after your mother. And then she closes the door. I put the cash in my pocket and walk back across the road. I close the front door. Yes, yes. I run to my phone and take it in my shaking hands. I text Olga quickly and ring Dagger. Come on, answer. I buy a paper and head into a pub on the keys. I order a pint, hand the barmaid ten euro and wave away the change. She places a pint in front of me. The two Jemison shots in the last place are still ringing in my ear as I unfold the paper. The bar is a touristy affair. There's GAA jerseys on the wall and copper kettles hanging out of the roof. I click my fingers at the lounge girl who arrives with another pint and a shot. You're going to earn your money today, sweetheart. The whiskey burns the back of my throat, so I wash it down with a swig of Foster's. I spot an American tourist returning from the bathroom. The guy is a tank, well over six feet tall. Just as he's walking past, I roll up the newspaper and slap him on the back of the head. Do you know what your fucking problem is, I say. Dagger eventually answers his phone. Talk to me, you gobshite. He gives me the POA. I'm going to meet him in the dog and duck for a few whistlers before we head on to the 30th in Smith's. I put my phone in the charger and grab a can from the fridge. Ma calls me in and asks me have I heard from Dennis and about his comic book thing. I tell her I haven't. She wants to know what I was talking to Mrs Bonaducci about. But I make me excuses and leave. I think I've misjudged this one. Tony Soprano isn't happy. Go on. Tell me, what's my problem? He says. You don't know how to drink Guinness properly. You look like a bunch of pussies. He smiles and puts his hand on my shoulder. Well, why don't you come over and show us? I finish my pint, grab the folder and head over. I tell him and his buddies it's a cardinal sin for a man to drink a glass of Guinness and Tony, embarrassed, immediately orders five pints. The drinks arrive and I show them how to drink the black stuff. Dennis, what brings you out this afternoon, dude? What's the occasion? Says one of them. I'm here because... I'm celebrating. I got a new job today. In New York City. They start hollering, and I can feel the Guinness repeating in my throat. I give Tony a half-hearted high-five, and he makes another order in celebration. Charlie, the oldest of the four, 
steps forward to shake my hand. Congratulations. That's so exciting. It's the greatest city in the world. I say, yeah, and take a sip of my fresh pint, spilling it on my shirt. I'm telling them about the studio in NYC when one of them says, American chicks are going to love that accent. And that starts another round of high fives and USA, USA, USA. Yeah, tell me about it, I say, flexing and kissing my biceps. Dennis, you old dog, says Tony, interjecting, pointing at my hand. I see a wedding ring. Is your wife going with you? The dog and duck is quiet. Anto the barman has his head buried in his iPhone. And Dagger is hanging off a stool at the counter. Here she is, he says, giving me the ones over. I pull up a stool and slide in beside him. Anto looks up and sticks on a pint. It's never awkward with Dagger. Straight away we're chatting about ma, football, the horses. How's Dennis the menace holding up? Ah, he's in great form, I say. He had some exhibition this morning. He was showing me his stuff. Wasn't half bad, I say. He might be out later. Dagger checks his phone and decides we should make a move. Oh, come here, I meant to tell you, I say. I found myself a nice little learner, a neighbour. I'll tell you about it later. Is my wife going with me to New York? No chance, I say. Removing the ring and putting it into my breast pocket. I can't have anyone holding me back, you know. The lads are starting to feel peckish. Lounge girl arrives over with a platter of finger food and I dive in. Tony taps his empty glass and looks in my direction. Dennis, it's your turn, buddy. Same again, lads? I say through a hiccup, feeling the sausage rolls and goujons mix with the booze in my stomach. My eyes water as I give the order. The barman doesn't look happy as he pulls the five pints. I feel a gurgling down below and I start to sway. My head is spinning as I think back to the presentation. My two characters, Slua Moore and Colleen Bond, plastered up on the big screen. Mr. Goldstein, my hero, lost and thawed on the stage beside me. I look out and there's a sea of eyes transfixed on my work. This is the culmination of six months graft. I did it. The opportunity of a lifetime is within my grasp. But something's wrong. The gasps from the audience have turned into groans. I turn around to see what they're looking at. Oh, fuck. On the drawing of Sluamore, Jerry, with his crossword pen, has drawn a giant throbbing dick dangling between his legs. It's covered in pubic hair and ejaculating onto the ground. I mumble out an apology to Mr. Goldstein, the judge. I tell him I don't know how it could have got there. The crowd begins to snigger. I can hear the click of camera phones. That's not your only problem, he says, and points to the drawing of Colleen Bond. I look up, and Jerry has drawn a perfectly square Hitler moustache on her top lip. There's a swastika on her arm and the words Heil von Deutschland in a speech bubble. All of a sudden, people are distracted, checking their phones. I spot Sheila, the organiser, with her head in her hands. The room is silent. Mr Goldstein, disgusted, adjusts his kipper and moves on. Hello? Hello? That'll be 2670, please. Are you all right? Says the barman as I put my hands out to steady myself. Beheads of sweat are forming on my forehead. And then, 
I spew a stream of giant yellow chunks all over the counter. Splats against the beer taps and down onto the ground. The barman recoils and shouts for the doorman who grabs me. I tell him I have to get my folder and he ragdolls me over to the American's table. Nice meeting you lads. The doorman shoves me outside. A group of girls sidestep me as I try to stand up and dust myself down. Time for a word with my brother, I think, and take out my phone. No. Face to face. Where's that 30th on again? We turn into Smith's and follow the music upstairs. Billy wanders over with a giant 30th badge on his shirt. Who let you dopes in, he says, put me in a headlock. Dagger arrives over with two points and we sit down. And the DJ... A dicky ball wearing Mick Wallace lookalike is playing some eerie trance shite to an empty dance floor. We should have stayed in the duck, says Dagger. I'll pick up, I say, feeling the kick off the beer. I send Olga a quick text. The door opens and four lads in trilbies and skinny jeans walk in, dragging guitar cases behind them. They plug in, tune up and break into an awful indie mix of whiny guitars and moany vocals. Fuck this, I shout. I'm going for a piss. And then I'm getting us a couple of doubles. Bring this with you, says Dagger, handing me a tiny bag under the table. We need to kick this night off. It's dark as I wander down the quays through the city towards the bus stop. On the boardwalk, I stop for a second. Dump the folder into the liffy. I bum a can off two lads and stick it in my back pocket. The bus rounds the corner and a young couple barge past me and up the steps. I sit two rows behind them, open the can, take a look back at the river, and we move off. A cool breeze is circulating from an open window. I text Jerry and close my eyes for a few moments. It's peaceful. Then one of the couple, the lad, stands up. It's fucking freezing, mister, he says, leaning over me to close my window. I notice his girlfriend has her phone out playing music. Can you turn that down, please? Nothing. Did you hear what I said, dickhead? I shout, pressing the bell for my stop and standing up. Eh, uh, ask me, bollocks. I walk towards them, grab him by the back of the head and smash it into the metal seat in front of him. The girlfriend screams. I slap her across the face, hard, and she stops. Her phone drops to the floor and I smash the screen with my heel. The music stops. I walk down the stairs and get off the bus. I pick up a couple of double vodkas and head back to our table. Dagger has been joined by some young one in a leopard print dress. There you are. I've made a friend. He introduces her and pulls me in for a quiet word. Mary's here with her sister, over there. He points to a girl at the bar. She was saying we should finish our drinks, grab a bottle of plonk and head back to their gaff. The four of us, what do you think? I'm going to stay, I say, taking a gulp of vodka. She won't leave her sister here, it has to be both of us, what's the problem? I have a girlfriend. Your little Facebook friend? The one you've never even met? I feel like burying the glass in his forehead, but I let it pass. I hand him his double vodka and we clink drinks. I'm sorry, I can't. I'll talk to you later, lads, says Mary, standing up, rolling her eyes. I'm glad you found someone, Jerry, but I hope she's fucking worth it. She is, I say, feeling me phone vibrate in me pocket. That's probably her now. 
No, it's Dennis. He's on his way. Oh, that's good. This party needs livening up. I get to the bar and there's Jerry. Our eyes meet across the room. There's no queue at the bar and Jerry comes over. I tell him I think I've lost my wallet. <laughs> Typical. He says, stuffing a 50 in my pocket. He pinches me on the cheek and says, Don't say I never do anything for you. I notice a shattered beer bottle on a tray behind the counter. I reach over, take a three-inch shard and wrap it in a napkin. The barman comes back with the drinks and I head over to Jerry's table. Aren't you forgetting something, little brother? He says when I sit down. Give me me change, dickhead. I drop a tenner on the table with my left hand and hold the napkin under the table with my right. I grab the leg of the table and sit forward. I'm ready to push off when I notice the notes bulging out of Jerry's wallet. I'm about to ask Dennis about how his art thing went when I noticed the look on his face. It's fucking priceless. He was playing with something under the table, but now he just sits back. Where did you get that money? Listen to this. Mrs. Bonaducci calls in today and starts asking me about Olga. Random, yeah? I gave her the sob story and she says she wants to help. She wants to pay for Olga to come over. And she's doing it for Ma's sake. The next thing I know, she has her purse out. She just starts handing you money. Pretty much. She wouldn't take no for an answer. This is just a drop in the ocean. I'm going back in there later. I'll wait until she goes to bed and do a quick in and out job. If the key is under the mat, she won't have a clue. She mightn't even notice the money's missing. Unbelievable. My mind's racing. With his record, burglary might get him a stretch inside. If it turns into a robbery, who knows how long he'd get. Dagger is talking through the plan with him. They're discussing fingerprints and how to crack a safe. This isn't exactly the Cray twins. It's Adam and fucking Paul. Dagger leaves to go to the toilet. What do you think? Yeah, sounds like a handy number. Really? As you said. A quick in and out job. Right. Are you losing your bottle? No, I just thought... What? I didn't think you'd be in favour of it. Why wouldn't I be? She mightn't even notice the money is missing. That's what you said. Exactly. It's a victimless crime. She'd never even know. It'll be quiet up there this time of night, won't it? Not a sinner. And she'd definitely be asleep. At her age. Out cold. Right. Right. I better get going. You definitely think I can pull this off? No better buckle. Cheers. I jog straight out the front gates. It's nearly midnight. I move through the shadows, nipping behind hedges to avoid the headlights. My road is dead. Mrs. Bonaducci's mansion is blacked out. No trace of light. Just as I step onto the driveway, out of the corner of my eye, I see an upstairs light turn on in my own house. My mother's bedroom. I stop. It's not like her to be up this late. I hope she's all right. I might nip over and check on her. I order a pint of water and listen to the band. He's nearly there by now. I think of Mrs. Bonaducci and everything she's done for my mother. She'll be turning off lights and sitting onto the stairlift, cup of cocoa in her hand. Jerry, prowling outside, face pressed to a window, watching her every move. 
A tall fella at the bar asked me for the time. I check my watch and see I'm not wearing my ring. I panic for a moment and tap my short pocket. It slips back on smoothly. Have you got the time, mate? No, I say, and sprint towards the door. I haven't ran like this in years. I weave around lampposts and leap off curbs. My knees are about to give out as I turn onto where road and head straight up Mrs. Bonaducci's driveway. Oh, where's Jerry? I pull up the mat, take out the key and open the door. There's a sliver of light from the kitchen. I step in and tiptoe up the hall. Her plump figure appears in front of the aga. She's bending over, talking to Scalacci. There's a tin of dog food in her hand. I step in closer and she begins scooping chunks into a bowl on the floor. But it's not a bowl. It's Tracy's vase. It's covered in dog shit and gravy. I burst in, let out a roar and kick the dog across the room. Mrs. Bonaducci screams and comes at me with a bread knife. I pick up the vase and slam it down onto the crown of her head. It shatters into six pieces. She crumples into a pool of blood on the floor. I hold my head and sink to my knees. The dog whimpers in the corner. A clock on the wall strikes midnight. <laughs>